Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. I spent two times trying to go through at least the basics of the Ashkenazi culture. I can't forbear. Last week we didn't have Howard's colorized version of it. There's that picture. You see the fathers. There's the Ashkenazi family of a thousand years ago. Can you see now that it's in color? The mother on the left with the broom doing the uh, Pesach cleaning in the ceiling. If you look closely, where the, the man, that's the man to the right. That's a, that's a candle for B'dikas Chomets. Can you see it? And there's the little boy, you know what they do, they carry around to catch the crumbs. And the daughter is Cinderella over here. She's, uh, she's doing the floor. <laughs> Beg pardon? Yeah, I mean, I'm, it's, <laughs> no, it's, it's worthwhile. Can you all see it now? Again, there's the mother cleaning the thing, the roof. There's the uh, father with the candle and the son. And there's the daughter. Actually, she's sweeping, isn't she? That's good. Isn't that wonderful? Okay, this is a picture made a thousand years ago in Ashkenaz, so it gives you an idea, uh, a little bit of, uh, of what we're not unfamiliar with, but it just goes to show you when you do it in the year 2011, we're actually not the first ones who invented these ceremonies. That's a, uh, I can't tell, but probably not. I told you in France, the Jews did not wear yarmulkes, okay? by and large. The rabbis did, right? You know, people like that, but the average Jewish fellow uh, attended services even without a yarmulke. Although in Germany they certainly did. Okay, let's get the lights back on and and um, and we'll proceed. Um, tonight, obviously, we want to talk about the Crusades. And uh, tell you the honest truth, you know, I planned at the beginning to cover the whole Crusades in one little sweep. The more I get into it, the more I see. Maybe we'll get through the first Crusade uh, in there, and next year we'll cover the rest of the Crusade because. Uh, there's just a lot of material here. I forgot it all myself, how much was going on there. So we'll play this by ear, but certainly it's a tale that uh, deserves to be told. And I'm sure you've heard it in one fashion or another at different keynotes. When you go to famous speakers now, they touch on these sorts of things. Except that I do it my way. Um, now, here we go. The uh, key to the whole business is as follows. Uh, oh, yeah, before I forget. Take a look at that. It was in the paper today. Ashkenazi Jews ranked smartest in the world. Studies show descendants of Jews from medieval Germany throughout Europe have an IQ 20% higher than global averages. And he goes on and on about this. You can look at it at that at Ynet over there. I thought it was kind of cute that that should come out in the three weeks uh, in the anniversary of the uh, massacres of the Ashkenazi Jews. In spite of everything they did, they've uh, managed, even with their detritus, to, to, to give the world quite a bit. Uh, you can you'll read all the rest of it. Jake, let's go to the last one. Can we do that? The Arab Empire. What? That's right. Okay. In order to understand the Crusades, you have to understand a couple of basic backgrounds, or at least that's always my opinion, because that's who I am. Um, and that's who you ought to be. See, 
I don't need to tell you today, in spite of in the wake of current events, that there's been a long and continuous war between Christianity and Islam long, from a long time. The only thing is, is the war interrupted by uh, truces. But in spite of the fact that many people in the West thought it died out and went away, we are learning to our surprise, those who are foolish enough not to do what I do, which is to go look at the past, that there are some people out there called Osama bin Lanos who will crash airplanes into buildings because they, the past is very much alive for them. And... Uh, and they remember things in ways that only people from members of certain communities do and elders don't. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Long ago, the world was pagan. Then the Roman Empire went Christian, as you know. When the Roman Empire went Christian, it's kind of funny because it was due to conversion. The, uh, they used to feed the Christians to the lions, but in the long run, the Christians overcame the Romans in the sense that they successfully missionized them. You may recall that Constantine, the Roman Empire, switched to Christianity, and within 50 years or so, everybody else had one way or another. Having said that, Christianity is a tradition of spreading itself by mission, missionizing, on the other hand, also by the sword. And so it's 50-50. And Christianity has always been sort of conflicted on this, and half the countries became Christian as a result of wars, for example, the Germans, and the uh, other half of the countries, not at all, but only through missionaries. Um, hold that thought. Islam, which started 300 years later, from day one was spread by wars. Now, they also had their missionaries who did very successful jobs, uh, in remarkable ways around the world. I'll give you an example. Malaysia and Indonesia were not conquered by the Arabs, but they're, as you would know, uh, Islamic countries, so it's done by missionaries. Having said that, it is nevertheless a fact that when Muhammad was around, he was a commander-in-chief of his armies. If you read the Quran, he talks about it all the time. He organized military campaigns, and during his lifetime, he physically conquered all the tribes in what you and I call today Saudi Arabia and Yemen. You understand? That's what he did. And he used to conquer them and kill the opponents and take over and force everybody to join his side. And when he died, it's a basic feature of Islam that his successors, who were the successors as the commander-in-chiefs of the Ummah, of the, of the United Islamic people, went and look what they did. From this little business over here, they conquered an empire from Afghanistan to the Atlantic Ocean. Right? It's pretty big, bigger than the Roman Empire. And this is the world of the caliphate, as they called, ruled by the caliph, which meant that all the Muslims were one team for a while. By contrast, this area over here was Christianity, Christendom, and they weren't one team, but divided into different constantly fighting kingdoms and principalities. That's like the definition of Europe, ad hayom azeh. Europe has always been self-destructing until the United States, after the end of the Second World War, under Truman and Marshall and the others, they basically said, you guys are going to sit in the room and work this out or we'll kill you, you know? And ever since then, uh, they, what do you call it, they formed the European Union and all this kind of business and, and then bit us. But nevertheless, the history of Europe until 1945 is one of continual, constant struggle. As a result, the Muslims had an advantage because when you have a struggle on one side led by a single unified uh, command where all the resources are mobilized in a master plan versus a divided enemy that's actually fighting itself all the time, you know who's going to win. And that's what happened. As a result, if you look closely at this map, there's an X up here and an X up here, and that means that the Arabs had plans to take over everything. Only thing is they were stopped at a battle here, and they were stopped at a battle here, and they held, held them back. So the white area represents the areas that the Muslims did not conquer. But they started the crusade. Okay, I want you to get, you know, you hear all the time all this political correct garbage about this crusade. It's a dirty word, and this and that and the other. They've had a crusade since the day they started. They called it jihad. It's the exact same thing as the crusade. So the one's no prettier or more noble or less noble than the other. And the story we're going to be looking at has to do with the fact that you see the Battle of Poitiers over there and the Battle of Constantinople over there were a couple others. These were Christian crusades against the jihad. In other words, the Christian team organized itself to fight against 
against the Arab, t the Muslim team, and as you can see, they beat him and thrust him back. And actually, over here, the Franks, the grandfather of Charles Charlemagne, who I mentioned before, defeated the Arabs and drove him back, and even conquered a little bit of Spain and started the 800-year Reconquista that we discussed here once upon a time. Over here is something we're going to be concentrating on today. And that's called the Byzantine Empire, which of course no longer exists, but as you can kind of see, is equal to the country of Turkey today, plus a lot more. Let's take a look at the um, at the map. But re hold it, remember that thought that for a long time, in the 600s, the 700s, and in the 800s, the Arabs usually won because they were unified under one ruler, and by contrast, the Christians were always fighting each other and uh, and self-divided. There's the Byzantine Empire. Uh, take a look at this and contrast it with this, right? Uh, uh, I think you're intelligent enough to do that. Uh, that means that this was an empire once upon a time which had uh, what we call today Turkey, but as we'll see, it wasn't Turkey at the time, it was Asia Minor, it was a Christian country, and all the Balkans, uh, Greece, uh, Bulgaria, Yugoslavia, Albania, all that junk, right? It was all part of the uh, Byzantine Empire and even a piece of southern Italy. So they were powerful in their day. They are, and they were the bulwark, they were the ones who held the door against the Muslims. You follow? So the rest of the Europeans to the east over here, Germany, England, France, could always fight each other because they didn't have to worry about the fact that the Muslims were going to come in because these guys are blocking the way. Even though they're Greek Orthodox Christians and they had a lot of arguments over Christianity with the other Europeans, but nevertheless that's the way it held and they gave them a certain amount of uh, security, okay? Um, I might even say that if you take, let's take a look at the next map for a second, can we? Uh, yeah, that one. If you look over here, here's Europe. This area is the Byzantine Empire. Here are the Arabs and the Muslims over here. And you can really see uh, how they are blocking them from getting in, okay? So all this time, these guys are all fighting each other, one country fighting another, and within the countries constantly fighting each other, the nobles and the kings and the popes and all that. But these guys are holding the fort against them. By the way, the Byzantines were not good to the Jews but they did serve the function of keeping the Muslims out of Europe. Okay, I hope you were able to understand what I just said. Now, um, they, they, the, I know because the maps are, are, are not familiar to people, are not familiar with it. They, there's no history without maps because things take place in, in, in places and times. Right? Um, and as I said before, they were, the East and West always argued over Christianity, but it doesn't matter. Um, now, in the year 1071, uh, okay, after a long time, the uh, Byzantine Empire made a big mistake. Basically, at that time, what had happened was the following. The Arabs started to crack up, and they broke into, they no longer were a unified team, and they have more or less not been a unified team. Ad Hayom Hazer. And thoughtful Muslims bitterly resent this, and thoughtful Muslims say the reason we haven't conquered the world is precisely because we broke up our unity. And thoughtful Muslims say we have to make it all one country again so that we can marshal our united powers against the divided West and take them over. These thoughtful Muslims are called the Muslim Brotherhood. You read about them. And they're called the Al-Qaeda and people like that. That's the reason they crashed the uh, planes in the building, because they blamed the West for breaking the Arab world, for example, into different countries. Why should it be a country called Egypt, and another one called Libya, and Tunisia, and Algeria, and Morocco? Why should it be another country called Syria, and a separate one called Iraq, and another one called Jordan, and all that? They're artificial. They want to do away with all those countries. They want one grand ummah under a caliph, and they can then crunch as they see the West. You get it? So 
What I just described as ancient history is actually the most contemporary history, except most people in the West are too ignorant to realize what confronts them. That's the world in which we live. In um, the year 1071, the Byzantine army allowed itself to get wiped out, like Custer's last stand over here in Manzikert. Okay? And they, it was an imprudent move. Uh, I said the Arabs broke up into small fighting states, and the group among the Muslims that emerged as the most militant and warlike, successfully militaristic, Turks. They're not Arabs. The Turks are converted to Islam from earlier conquests. They're a separate group, but nevertheless, they were Muslims, and they, were, they became the warlike ones. And ever since then, for the last thousand years, the Arabs have not been that great at war, and the Turks have, which is why you hear of the Turkish Empire and all stuff, you don't hear any more of the Arab Empire for a thousand years and more. That's why, for a long time, Israel and all the other police were on the Ottoman Turkish Empire, and the Turks were not under the Arabs. That's why, until recently, Israel and Turkey were friends, because both of them held the Arabs in contempt. Only the recent government, which is Muslim Brotherhood-oriented, and is thinking about restoring the grand team that I told you before, has now started to kiss up to the Arabs, and the idea is that they want to knock out Israel and then take over the West. That's the meaning of the flotillas. You know? Now, the aftermath of this battle of Manzikert, which I'm sure no one's ever heard of, was tremendous. Because it meant that this whole thing broke. They, had, they, they allowed their whole army to get wiped out like Custer's last stand by the Seljuk Turks, who overran all of this. Go back to the other uh, picture of the Byzantine Empire. Go in. Stop. This is what it looked like. And look, that's all that's left. Look, they took over the whole business. You, you understand what I'm saying? I'm pointing to what you are familiar with as Turkey. It became Turkey after 1071. It used to be called Asia Minor with a Christian, Greek, Roman. This is left over from the Roman Empire. This is technically the Eastern Roman Empire. And they took it all over to Turks, and the result was only a strip was left over here. This turned out to be a crisis because it, it means the Muslims might break into Europe. At that point, the Byzantine Empire was on the ropes. Now, how this is all going to affect the Jews is a perfect example that A is fighting B, and they then both say, since we have nothing better to do, let's kill the Jews. Because nothing none of this should have anything to do with the Jews. And how should it have anything to do with the Jews who are living in the Rhineland? But that's how it went. The um, Byzantine Empire being on the ropes, so they, they were disarray for a while, and then they got themselves a strong emperor. Let's move to the next one. Yeah, this guy, the Emperor Alexis Komnene, is a very famous person. And he tried to pull it all together again. He said, let's rebuild. And one of the things he says is, we're not strong enough to fight the Turks. And the Europeans started to pick away at his empire, all the rest of it. And so he appealed to the Pope. And he said, like, just do me a favor. It's in your interest that we should hold the line against the Muslims. Encourage Western knights and mercenaries to come work for me and fight against the Turks and reconquer Turkey or Asia Minor. Makes sense. Is it your interest, my interest? He had in mind that the Pope will encourage a bunch of knights and soldiers to come in there. That's not the way the Pope decided to do it. Uh, the reason the Pope didn't decide to do it, because at that particular time, let's go to the next map. Yeah, here's Europe in the period we're talking about, more or less. As you see, here's France. Basically, Europe is three big countries. There's France, England, and the Holy Roman Empire, Germany and Italy, together. Uh, the Pope was over here in the territory ruled by the Holy Roman Empire. The Pope and the Holy Roman Emperor during the late 10 hundreds, constant fight, each one trying to kill the other one, each one excommunicates the other one all the time. It's very, very interesting. Uh, you had one of the stronger, stronger popes out there, uh, 
a perfect example of what I mean when I say the West is in disarray. Okay? As a matter of fact, if you go to the next picture, it was during this period that the Emperor Henry IV, who's the person we're going to be meeting in the First Crusades, very important. Uh, actually, I have a student of mine, believe it or not, who ended up doing a dissertation. Henry IV uh, has to go and, and beg, the, there's the Pope, and he had to go and get on his knees in the snow and beg to be forgiven the excommunication, which will show you how powerful the Pope was. But a few days later, the Pope tried to kill him, he tried to kill the Pope again, and went back to square one. So it's exactly like Henry II and Beckett, if you remember that whole business. Very, very similar. And this is where the West was holding at that time. The Jews are in a tricky position, as I might as well say now. The reason is, the Jews had worked out, the Ashkenazic Jews and the other Jews in the West. How did they survive altogether? After all, they're the ones who killed Jesus. They, why should they let him go? They worked out, long ago, a modus vivendi, a way of dealing with um, emperors and popes. Okay? Uh, the Catholic religion, and this is very important, always held from day one that the Jews are bad, they rejected Yashka and all that, and they killed him and all this business, uh, but don't kill them. You can do anything you want them, you can't actually physically harm them. For the Jews, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's number one. Uh, now, you can overtax them, you can oppress them, this, that, and the other. It's very hard to maintain an oppressive system. You understand? Think of the South and all that in American history with the uh, blacks and all. You've know, you, you got to be really committed to the racism to, to, to make all that go. You know, it takes a lot of energy. And what happened was that they would issue all these rules and decrees the church would against the Jews. And after a little while, you know what I mean? Right. So you didn't, so you didn't wear that thing on Wednesday. And then, you know, get it? And so they, just, they weren't allowed, they're only allowed to build the shoulders high. Uh, so they built it a little higher and they paid him off anyway. That, 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 that's really how it went. And as far as the emperors were concerned, everybody's against them. They're always fighting the nobles. The Jews are not against them. The Jews are on the emperors. They, you know, they, they pay off whoever's at the top. You see? And so if the emperors and the popes are fighting each other, it's not so good for the Jews. Because these are two sources of protection that the Jews will want. One of the things that happens in the Crusades is both of those institutions don't come through as they usually do for the Jews. It's, it's, it's uh, quite, a, quite a story. Anyway, the Pope at that time, in, in the year I'm talking about, was Pope Urban II. He decide, he's the one having a machlokis also with this guy and with this guy. You know, notice the Pope is fighting these guys, the King of France and the Holy Roman, and the King of England for that matter. Uh, he hates him because he tried to get him killed and he tried to get him killed and he became emperor at the age of four and ever since then they're trying to poison each other. And he hates him for the same reason the King of England does, Henry VIII. They both have wives that want a divorce, the Pope won't give the divorce so easily, all that stuff, okay? Now, uh, you know, the history repeats itself, as they say. The Pope was born in France, and so he takes this uh, idea of helping the Byzantine Emperor, and he does it in his own terms, and he goes to France in 1095 in Clermont, and he makes a famous speech where he gathers all the nobles of France together. Let's get a map here. Yeah. Right, Pope goes from Rome to France, which he didn't do too often, and he gives a famous speech to a bunch of nobles in which he calls for a crusade. Right? And he appeals to them, Lishma and Shalolishma. On the one hand he says, you know, the Byzantine Empire is cracked and the and the Muslims are gonna come in unless we help them. Also, while we're at it, why don't we why don't we reconquer Israel, Eretz Israel, which of course has the Holy Sepulchre and all the Christian sites, and why should the Muslims have it anyway? And he even says, I hear that they're torturing Christians. They've had a hundred years, they weren't torturing anybody, but, or more than usual, you know, they always did a little bit of torturing. Christians did their torturing, but that's the, that's the way the world went then, that's the way it goes today. 
or is there not a country called Norway? Huh? And um, so he says, meanwhile, he should also go and liberate the holy sites and all the rest of it. And basically, his appeal was more than what this guy said. The Pope says, why don't we form a grand team, stop fighting among ourselves, and if we do what they did, which is organize a Europe-wide army, if all the Christians would stop killing each other and go kill the enemy, we could conquer the world. We could certainly conquer this. You know, We could probably knock out the Islamic religion totally altogether, which, by the way, was true. If England and France and Germany and Zoe would really you know, get together, that's pretty powerful, even in the 10 hundreds. You get it? Uh, the Islamic world, it's funny the way God runs things. The Islamic world has survived for a thousand years solely due to the unbelievable constant infighting of the European Christian powers. You get it? And it was the dream of every Christian great ruler in the history of Europe to do what I just said, conquer everything and then take on the Muslims. I'll give you just one example of many. Napoleon, what was his long-term idea? He was a genius, he was a military leader, he was a great statesman. Let me conquer the Gans Europe, get it organized, and then we go to, to, the, to the East. You see? So, uh, but it never happened, of course. As I say, it wasn't meant to be. So the Pope uh, uh, appeals for this crusade, and he also tells them, like in the book of Joshua, you're always fighting each other because there's not enough land to go around for all these nobles. You know, most of these countries, they have primogeniture, which means there's a certain piece of land, the oldest son gets it, the other son's tough luck, find your own way. So typically in Europe, one son became a, a bishop, another one became a, a, a mercenary, you know, a freebooter, and all that kind of business. Here's a lot of... Kakabasul, here's the whole areas that are under the Muslims. So you can take it over yourself. The land which you inhabit, shut in all sides by the seas, surrounded by the mountains, is too narrow for your large population. Right? Nor does it abound in wealth, and it first furnishes scarcely enough food for its cultivators, so you murder each other, and you wage war and, and perish by mutual wounds. Uh, let, therefore, hatred depart from among you, and let it direct it against <laughs> the Muslims. And that's how the First Crusade started. Okay? Basically, he said, let's, have, let's do to them what they've been doing to us for a long time. They had a united team against our divided team. Now they are divided, and they were. Uh, by this time, the Arab Empire broke up into different pieces, which are fighting each other. Not many people know this. When the Crusader armies will come to, uh, uh, to the, um, Syria and Palestine, uh, they will be aided by Egyptian Muslim armies. Because the Egyptian Muslims, surprise, surprise, don't like the guys who are ruling in Syria and Palestine at that particular time, even though the Crusaders are shechting the Muslims right and left. But politics is politics. So it's funny the way these things are turned around over here. The Pope's appeal was, was uh, enthusiastically received by the masses. In fact, it got out of hand. The original appeal was for some mercenary soldiers. He took it even farther than that, and it basically touched buttons, obviously, that were there, and it appealed gigantically over there. And, uh, and the First Crusade was on automatically. Masses of Christians all over the place, from from all these countries over here, right? From France and from here and from and, and other places, just formed themselves to go to fight uh, in the holy cause. Uh, it's not clear for historians what exactly he promised, but that what he promised doesn't matter what people thought he promised. And maybe it's like you get instant hobble after all. The Muslims have such a concept of 70 virgins and all that if you die in a jihad. So they didn't have a 70 virgin, they have the Christian version of that, and that would be, that would be uh, bliss, bliss in the heaven, you know. But the point is that, uh, you know, paradise. But it's, it's, it's instant ticket to Ghanaian, as they say. And um, the point, what was it, the Jews have it too? Right? Again, not 70 virgins, and the Jewish version is, you know, Olam Haba. And if you want to know what it means, you have to read the old Rambam stuff. Now, the point is that 
uh, this idea of, of instant ticket to Gan Eden for, for, for a holy war is common to all three faiths, if you want to be perfectly honest about it. And um, here you have the Christians going to go against the Muslims. Now the Jews are not the ones that they're turned against. The Jews have been living here forever, but the Jews are existential. One of the definitions in history, unfortunately, is Jews are existentially collateral damage. You understand? Uh, things happen, place blows up, uh, it's the Jews' fault. They kill the Jews. You know, it's, it's, there, there are jokes, bitter jokes from Germany and places like this about it long ago, but uh, you know, I won't go into it now, but you understand what I'm talking about. So it really should have nothing to do with the Jews. It should. Uh, people thought the Pope promises, let's say, indulgences, they'll forgive their sins, they'll forgive their debts, all this stuff. And it doesn't matter whether he actually said it or not. What I'm saying is the rumor mill is out there and people join for a variety of reasons and thousands of people, women, children, and of course men. Okay? Now, um, it's Hefkerus. There was The kings don't join. Why don't the kings join? Let's go back to the picture. Who are the kings? They want to kill the Pope. <laughs> They're not joining his war. The king of England, uh, the Holy Roman Emperor, the, the king of France, they're constantly in battles uh, with, the, with, with the Pope. Uh, so the experienced leaders who could have given it real direction aren't there. Um, instead, you have amateurs. Uh, you don't have real generals. Uh, you don't have the big shots who know how to command. Had that happened, it would be a different story, maybe. Um, the real generals were busy fighting each other in civil wars. The uh, riffraff and uh, maybe that's not exactly the right word, but it's not the wrong word either. You know, the lower elements and the knights who really uh, aren't doing well in the status quo and are looking for uh, a new deal, as it were, they're the ones who join over there. So what I'm trying to say is suppose they hit Baltimore. So people just get, who's, who's in charge? No one's in charge. So basically, they take out as in the paper, I'm forming a regiment, come join me. You know, the equivalent of that. And uh, amateur soldiers throughout history is a disaster. Correct? You don't have to be a total military expert to know that whenever you have non-professional soldiers, they lead them right into death. You know, they don't know what the heck they're doing. And uh, the vast majority of crusaders will die on the way. The vast majority of crusaders will die from dysentery and lack of food and lack of preparation, all kinds of stupid things like this, which could have been handled. A professional soldier understands that if you march 50,000 men somewhere, that means you have three times a day, you have to have 50,000, 150,000 meals a day. Is that true or not? Plus, for the horses, you have to access the water. And where do you get the shoes? That's where Jews traditionally came in and supplied all this stuff. But seriously, but if you don't understand that, you just say, I'm going to the glory of God. Uh, where are your shoes? I'm wearing the shoes I have. When the shoes run out, I'll walk barefoot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you understand? <laughs> okay. And therefore, uh, the Crusades were characterized by a great deal of disorganization and Hefkeris, uh, which was bad for the Jews. Okay, now, um, let me make one thing very, very clear. The vast, as I said before, the vast, our story is going to concentrate on the following. The vast majority of the Crusaders were not aimed at the Jews. I would say 95 or more percent. Okay? Uh, they went by different routes. Do we have the one with the routes? Yeah. See, they went this way or this way, right? This is Jerusalem. And uh, a few went by sea. Um, and there are Jewish communities along those routes, and they were not harmed. The vast majority were concentrating on the upcoming war against the Muslims. Uh, I don't say it's great to have a whole bunch of 
army walking through your neighborhood, that's not great in Baltimore, Maryland either. You know, it's, it's, it's never great. But they didn't do anything that we know about. Uh, a small percentage, uh, 4%, something like, I don't know, 3%, uh, was different. But that's all it takes. Because the Jews are basically defenseless. And if you have one group from a huge, they can cause all the harm. And that's the way it went. So when we say the Crusades, it's a, I know, I know, understand how common misconceptions work. That's why I'm here. The, you know, people say the Crusaders and the Jews all the rest of it. Ruba the Ruba of the Crusaders had nothing to do with the Jews. You understand? One group or two groups did. Everybody else went on their way and left them alone. Because that's not what the Pope was talking about and that's not what the grand plan was. But we're going to, unfortunately, have to look at what happened in the places where things didn't turn out the way they're supposed to turn out. There it turned out to be, as you all know, quite disastrous. Um, these groups that I'm pointing to over here actually were led by professional soldiers. They were landless knights, the, the second or third brother of somebody, the fourth or fifth son of somebody, and nothing to do. And so basically, Godfrey of Bouillon and people like that figure, I don't have no land over here, but I'll, I'll build myself a Medina over here. And they did. When they finally conquered Syria and Palestine and those areas, each one carved himself a little area with a palace and, uh, you know, Norman castles. That's why you go to Israel today and they show you crusader fortresses. We all know the castell, right? They take you on the road. Some crusader stick left over from way back when. And, uh, you know, that was their idea. I couldn't be a knight in France. There's not enough land, but I'll be a knight over here. Why should the small fry go? They're always the dummies. They're not going to get anything out of this. But those groups that were led by the really professional soldiers didn't really bother the Jews, even though Godfrey of Bouillon is famous for having said, I intend to kill a lot of Jews on the way. But he only did that when he got to Israel, not in Europe. Now, um, the main place that the Jews... Yeah, yeah, that's Godfrey. Let's go back a little. Okay. The main place where the Jews... Uh, we're living is, is Ashkenaz, and that's France over here and Germany, as I'm, as I'm circling over here, uh, as you can see. Uh, the crusade actually started in France. The Pope went to France to proclaim the, uh, the uh, thing. A lot of Catholic enthusiasm emerges in France, and naturally the Jews in France freaked out. Who knows what the king and what the nobles will do? After all, France does have this underside to it. Um, now, uh, the Jews in Germany, much less worried. Why? Uh, the Holy Roman Emperor Henry IV was a stark guy, always fighting with the nobles, trying to assert his power. They're always trying to knock him down. He's trying to get in there. He was a friend of the Jews. You understand? He was a strange guy because, as I say, people tried to kill him since he's four years old. They tried to drown him. But, uh, and he became emperor at the age of four, and he was killed more or less fighting his kids at the age of 56. You know, he had a tempestuous life over there. But he was basically a fair guy. And he knew that the, the Jews are not against him, and he believed in law and order, and the laws of the Holy Roman Empire had been since Charlemagne. The Jews are to be left alone. They pay their taxes, as I explained. They're the bees that produce the honey, and Chutzman uh, not leave them alone. The Jews actually had a very good relationship with Henry IV during his reign. One of the big problems is that during 1096, when all the trouble happens, he's down here fighting the Pope in Italy, and so he's away, and the Hebrew Chronicles constantly say, that the Jews up here are saying, where's the emperor? And they send messengers down, he should come back and all the rest of it. But he doesn't get back in time. And uh, although when he does get back, he's very angry at what happened. And he, as we'll see, tries to, tries to repair after the disaster is over. So the Jews in Germany figure like this. Uh, the Kaiser is a good guy, and he's on our side. 
Furthermore, the local rulers, the archbishops in Cologne, in Worms, in Mainz, and all these other places, in Regensburg, they're on the side of the Jews also because they were part, as I said before, of the status quo. And contrary to popular belief, the church itself, as well as the uh, governments at that time, were, I won't say pro-Jewish, but they were uh, in favor of treating the Jews in a nonviolent and fair way. Okay? I repeat, charging them 60% taxes was considered fair, but it was considered fair by the Jews also. That's the rules, that's the way, the, the rules of the game. Uh, yeah, that's right. And, um, uh, but what will the German nobles do? Uh, the Pope has just proclaimed a crusade. The Pope and the Emperor hate each other. Uh, the Emperor hates the Pope, for sure. Uh, will, will, will the Pope heat up the Christians? You know, they'll go into a frenzy. Will this produce a pogroms? Who knows? I mean, that's basically the, the Crusades expose the scary gap between theory and, rea and, and reality when it comes to royal guarantees of safety. Uh, let's put it this way. We live in America. We believe in the American system and all the rest of it. Very base. You know, for hundreds of years it worked in Germany and then it didn't. Um, the, 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 I told you before, the struggle between the crown on the one hand and the papacy uh, put the Jews in a, in a delicate position, threatening their traditional relationship with the church, which was, had been one of protection. Trouble starts already in March. Let's go to uh, the Duchy of Normandy. Here. This is France. There's Normandy. Remember the Allies landed there in D-Day? Actually, it was a separate little kingdom. If you uh, remember your history, the Normans conquered England. So William the Conqueror was the Duke of Normandy. And uh, William the Conqueror, very good to the Jews, even though he was a real tyrant and a rough guy, but the Jews are money for him. So he, when he comes to England, he brings a bunch of Jews with him, totally as money guys. You see? Uh, his son, William Rufus, same way. Uh, I can tell you when some people mess with his Jews and force them to convert early on, he goes to those Jews and says, you should go back to Judaism. You know? <laughs> why, do you, why do you want to be Christians? You won't believe it. William II. Um, nevertheless, everybody's all heated up by the crusade rhetoric. You know, uh, the soldiers of uh, Christianity are on the march. Uh, everybody's all excited. And in the capital, Rouen, I know it's not a household name with us, but in uh, Rouen was once upon a time an ear of Aim Israel. had a big yeshiva. Uh, many Sephardic students actually went from Spain to study it. It was the volusion of its day, I assure you. And um, the crowd, uh, you know, masses over there, and things get out of hand, and they attack the Jews. I'll read you very, very, very briefly over here from a Hebrew account. Rock Rouen, Shebaanga, Kibbutz Nosei Eslav Bebe, Kibbutz Nosei Eslav Yehudim Bebeis, they round up all the Jews, and this is a from city, the Rashi's time, Balitosis time, and he round everybody up and heard, and heard the Jews on to a church. And they put the knife to the throat and say, make your choice, either baptize or get killed. Understand? And uh, many get killed, uh, as he says before, and uh, many do um, convert. And all of a sudden you see the sign, uh, this is in March of 1096. They're breaking the rules. That's not the way you're supposed to deal with the Jews. But nothing happens to them. That's the key point. You understand? Nobody does anything about it. That's even worse. We all know the worst thing is when there's a crime broken and nothing happens. Then you're in real trouble. Okay? And uh, the result is that even though the king is opposed to this, as I said before, the Duke William Rufus was inside the Jews, but he wasn't there. And it happened. You see? Uh, tell it to the people who got killed. Uh, the French Jews who live in the rest of France, and Rashi lives right there in Troyes, not that far away, are terrified, obviously. And, you know, they, they just get out of their mind. And uh, 
you know, uh, the result is that uh, the crusaders or the government in general shake them down for money. And they say, you know, we want you to contribute to the crusades. I'll give you as much as you want. And they pay them off with big bucks, and it worked. As a result of that, uh, as I told you before, the vast majority of crusaders had other things on their mind. They simply took advantage of a situation to milk some money out of the Jews. Anyway, they figured we're going to holy war. You might as well forgive my debt or give me a, <laughs> give me an advance loan, you know, yeah, right? And, uh, and the Jews consider themselves very fortunate that that's what they got away with. You understand? Um, the Jews were so scared when all this was going on, they send to the Jews in Germany in the Rhine, very famously, to pray for them. They say, we're in the Sakonis Nefashis. And the Jews in the Rhineland, who are in the Holy Roman Empire, let's go back to the other map. I hate to keep doing this, but it's important. That's it. This all happens here. They send to the Jews over here and say, pray for us. And they make a, a tinus for them, and they take it seriously, because they're brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts. Remember, all the Jews in Ashkenaz, they're really their cousins. They're little brothers and cousins and uncles. So, of course, they pray for them, all the rest of it. Uh, but they write to the French Jews. They say, you know, it's rough to be in France. Of course, we don't have anything to worry about. You see, we have the Kaiser, we have the Archbishop, and Germany is a civilized country. <laughs> this, is what, this is really what they write. And it was, by the standards of those days. And so, uh, here, everything's okay. I understand the irony on it, but this is, this is what happened. The church is on their side. The Kaiser is on their side. What can go wrong? In the end, as I said before, the French Jews ducked a bullet. The crusader groups, as you saw before, head to the east more or less by a variety of ways. Most of them go this way, and some go this way, and so on and so forth. Now let's go to the uh, Hebrew map. There you go. This is a very important. I know it's, uh, not everybody's used to looking at the, all the maps, but we'll have no choice for tonight to familiarize ourselves a little bit with this. Here's France, and here's Germany. This is the, this is the Rhine River, the Rhineland. And, uh, and here are the cities. Anybody here who's Germany or from West Germany will know instantly what I'm talking about. Uh, the Rhine River is this huge river. There's Cologne, Köln. There's Bonn, which was the capital of Germany until recently. And here's Spires, Worms, and Mainz. So you're all these Jewish important communities along the Rhine River. And as you can see, the Rhine River has little, what do you call them, tributaries, right? They go off this way and this way. That's Germany. That's South Germany. That's how they live, you know, especially in the old days. Uh, the transport was there, supplied the water supplies. It was the arteries of business. It was life-giving. And uh, here's the Moselle River. You ever hear the Rhine, Moselle wines, you know? Here's the Moselle River. And here's Trier and Metz. Metz is now in France. Uh, so this particular group of, uh, uh, of crusaders was different. They didn't go the other routes, I said. This is a group that formed up over here of a bunch of hilarious, low-life riffraff under this leader or that leader. You'll see in a minute, uh, well, they, they followed a goose. They thought it's a magic goose and knows where to go. I promise you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a tremendous superstition and things like this. It would be funny if it wasn't tragic. You understand? And they are not, and, and, and they're fools. You know, they should go this way and that way. Instead, they go down here. And one of the reasons they go down here is they have in their mind uh, mischief and mayhem. Because they say, yeah, eventually we'll get to fight the Muslims. But while we're at it, let's go for the Jews. Yeah? In other words, it was going to be that you're not going to have 100% of the Crusaders who say, let's concentrate on the Muslims and leave the Jews alone. Some groups are going to go there. Um, this is the ones that cause all the trouble, unfortunately. The first group that comes down over here in the spring, in April or so, of uh, 1096, in this uh, terrible year, Hebrew we call Tatanu, Tuf Tuf Num Vav, which according to the, you know, if it's Dalid, 
tough, tough. You know, now we're in hey, tough shenayin, Aleph. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, tough shenayin, Aleph actually is a 771. Where do you have 5771? So it's understood that it's a hey. So it used to be Dalit starting the year 240. But if, if you don't know what that means, it's okay. The first group on the Peter the Hermit. Okay, uh, Peter the Hermit means he's a guy who was a hermit. Uh, one of the things it means is he never took a bath his whole life. Yeah, after, wait a second. He, he's the one in France who shakes down the French Jews, gets a lot of money out of them. And he gets them to write a letter to the Jews over there in, in, the Holy, in Germany, in the Holy Roman Empire, and say they should give us money too. And they go down, let's go to the Hebrew map. Halavai should look as handsome as that guy did. Anyway, they, uh, they, look, they go down here, and then they go this way to Trier and then Metz, off the Rhine. And here's where the first trouble starts. They appear before the walls of the city, and uh, basically they say like this, we're the Jews, read these letters, give us the money. And the Jews do give them the money. And they'd be very happy if that's all it was. And then he leaves. But shortly after he leaves, another group comes. And they don't have any money to give him. And it turns out they're not so interested in the money. Uh, when the Jews of Trier, uh, Karl Marx comes from Trier, when the Jews of Trier hear that the uh, army is coming, they're seized by terror. Because they know the kind of groups that we're talking about. In America, this would be your uh, you know, criminal element. Get it? After all, everyone wants to be in crusades. And not only the uh, nobles and the, and the princes, also the scumbags. Right? And I'm serious. Why not? If you get instant forgiveness for op the opposite, the murderer, the killer, the scumbag, and the cutthroat is the one who definitely needs an indulgence. Okay? So when you have an old army of these guys, old habits die hard. And here's a bunch of Jews. And now it's holy. And it's a mitzvah. You see? And the emperor's in Italy. You see what I'm talking about? And so, when they hear that the Jews were seized with fright, the Jews are so afraid what the Crusaders will do, what this mob will do, that many of them commit suicide. It's the first of the waves of suicide, which is something I will not be able to talk to in the time given me tonight, but I will hopefully get to that next time, because ordinarily, I'm well aware of the fact that most people typically think that suicide is totally prohibited by halacha. And... Uh, and his arguments on two sides of this issue, uh, besides the politically correct arguments. And obviously, uh, as a matter of history, these Ashkenazic Jews in 1096, who, as we've seen before, are the ones who cleaned the, uh, the, the, the ceiling for the Chomets. No, they are observant Jews, right? They're Shemr Shemr Jews, but either they're too terrified of what the enemy will do, or else to them, and they'd rather die by their own hands, or else they see this totally as an act of Kiddush Hashem, meaning they see it's one of the three Hargval Yavars, many know what I'm talking about, that there are three mitzvahs you have to give your life up for, and, or they are uh, so full of hatred at the, at the hatred thrown at them that this is their way of throwing contempt at them. Uh, this is how much I despise your religion, which you're trying to shove down my throat. I'd rather kill my kill children than let them be in your religion, which is pretty extreme, and which is, in a weird way, the most powerful argument someone can make against someone else. This is totally opposed to our modern way of thinking. Nowadays, you and I, especially after the Holocaust, which was all about just killing people because they're Jews and not giving them any choice, we're all used to the idea, life comes first. Right? And most people will shake their head and agree with that. You know, life comes first. Then later on, you'll figure out what to do. Try to save lives. But it's not so simple. And that's not the way people saw it a thousand years ago. And here, they, they, before it even come, they shocked to us, they come up, 
a lot of girls who were terrified of what would happen to them, Jewish girls, uh, tied stones around them and jumped in the river and drowned, the Moselle River. Uh, they were afraid of not being attacked by the uh, crusaders and either raped or forced to convert or something like that. Uh, other people went to the bishop to protect against them, but he refused. And the result of the story is that once again, um, the Jews, for the second group, when they attack, 22 are killed. Um, the others are herded up into the church, and they're scared out of their minds, and they convert. Okay? And uh, besides the ones that committed suicide. And so here was something that's not supposed to happen. This is Germany already. This is a civilized country. What's going on over here? But nothing happens to them, as I told you before. It's not like anybody. The emperor is in Italy. <laughs> you, you see? You know, no, no, nobody, nobody's at home. And so what do we do then? Then they move down the river over here. So they came here in the, the Moselle River to Metz. Many of us have heard of this town of Metz. It's 80 miles away. And it's already a bigger Jewish community over there. And when they come to Metz, so uh, once again, the idea is, uh, you know, give us your money. And then after you give, us mo after you give the money, then convert or we'll kill you. Uh, the Jews say no. Uh, they're attacked. Uh, I don't know how many, a whole, half the community is killed. The other half are able to hide with friends or run away. And uh, the killers, again, are not punished. They keep going down the line. Well, you know, getting killing is, is habit forming, you know. And so, uh, the, I mean, the law can be broken. And so what happened now? To make matters worse, after all this, the different groups now sort of coalesce under a master leader, Count Emilko of Lotharingen, uh, who was, a, an, as I said before, a landless knight who wanted to have his own, Karka, and basically he'll be the, the king of the thieves. As you understand, he's a member of the nobility, and he's a sworn anti-Semite. He was a nutball, which ordinarily wouldn't matter, except to hear it matters. And he becomes convinced either somebody got to him or he formed this under his own. It's a season of intense religiosity, as we've seen before. Who knows what rumors are flying in the air. As I say, there are holy geese flying around. And he becomes convinced that he is either uh, the Mashiach or the herald of the Mashiach or something like that. And in Christian terms, it means that he's going to bring the second coming. I'm serious. In his mind, he's going to bring the second coming. Part of the second coming is the Jews convert. If you're a Christian, you know this. And he's going to make them convert. And if they don't convert, then he'll make sure they're no Jews. And under his leadership, we're going to have this constant uh, business all through the summer of 1096 in which the Jews are massacred, unless they convert. If they convert, they're not. And his, what, his point is, when I finish, there should not be a single Jew left here. Either there'll be dead ones, or there'll be long ones, will be Christians. But there won't be a single Jew left over here. And he thinks that it's a mitzvah. What I'm trying to indicate is like this. He didn't get orders from the Pope or something like that. This is actually against the official teaching of the church doctrine, and the archbishops and those type of guys oppose it. doesn't matter. He's got the mob. Nothing happens. He gets away with it. You see? And uh, look, that, that, that's how it works. Uh, the Jews figure they can pay him off. They don't know who they're dealing with in nutballs. So he'll take the money and then kill him anyway. There's almost a certain foreshadowing of Hitler in, in, in a way, except that he offers them a choice of of conversion. Um, what can I tell you? The Jews in the Rhineland were exposed to an army that was led by a person with a, with a sick combination of Christian theology. A Christian theologian will tell you this, and not just me. But it happened. So they turned to the east, to where the big Jewish communities are, this way. Now mind you, they're going to do the following. Look what I'm doing. Here, here, up here. Hey, wait a minute, you're going the wrong direction. The Holy Land is that way. They got so into the idea of killing Jews and taking their money and converting people, they totally forgot the crusade. Well, I'm shocked. 
you mean you have a whole group of cutthroats and criminal elements and they forgot and they lost their eyes on the prize? No, I can't believe it. You understand? This is who they were. They got uh, what's the drunk with uh, victory, uh, victory over helpless. Now go fight the Arabs. That's not so helpless. Then you have to go into a battle. Here it's easy pickings, shooting. Uh, what do they say? In, in a, you know, shooting the thing in a barrel, fish in a barrel. The 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 uh, you know, it's, it's much more fun. And so the result is the Jews were exposed, as I say, to these groups who come south to north, as we'll see over here. Here you have the three big communities: Shum, Shpirth, Vermiza, Mites. Right, they call it Takana Shum. That's how the Jews refer to it. As I indicated earlier, Mainz is the mother community, and that's the one, had the big yeshiva and all the rest of it. Worms is the one that's like the sub-community uh, of Mainz, and also had a secondary yeshiva. Rashi learned here and then learned here, for example, in his time. And Spire was much newer. It had been started six or seven or eight years before this, when I think I, I mentioned you, the bishop there said, I wanted to give this town a touch of class, so I brought a bunch of Jews. So he said, it's a famous line that's always quoted by the historians. I wanted to give, make this town uh, famous in, in Signo and with, with, with a big sign, and therefore I brought in Jews to build up the business, of course. Um, they had, in other words, therefore, in the month of Eor. So the killings in uh, Metz and in uh, Trier happened pace of time. And that's over the end of Nisan, as you know. And then they head this way. These towns are not that far apart from each other, as you can see. It's not that far away. And early in the month of Eor, they show up there in the eighth of Eor, and now comes the whole business with Spire. Um, the bishop, let's put it this way, their plan was, they heard the Jews always go, I mean, the Jews lived among them, so they knew Jewish things. The Jews always go to synagogue on Saturday morning, therefore, uh, you don't have to go and round them up like the Nazis did, just, just catch them in shul. You understand? And... Uh, and get everybody there, and then you can either kill them or force them to convert or something like that. The Jews, not knowing who they're really dealing with, because everything I'm describing is hindsight. They didn't know what's coming. They just heard there's some wild band over there. Um, you know and I know, in 1942 and 43, there were still many Jews in Europe who could not conceive of how bad the Germans were. So this is certainly true a thousand years ago. And uh, usually they dominate at 9 on Saturday morning. They hear that there's some trouble over there, so the Jews and Spear get together. They say, let's stop them like 5.30 or 6. So be out by 8 or something like that. And everybody go home, and that's what happens. It kind of works. Uh, Eleven people are you know, caught in the wrong place at the wrong time because that's when the Crusaders break into the town. They rush to the Jewish place. They look who's there, and there's 11 people that were either in the street or in the shul, and they're, you know, and they're seized by the mob, and they say, you want to convert, or we'll kill you, and they say, kill us, and they did. Okay. The others flee to the um, bishop's uh, headquarters, to the palace, like the Mivtsar of the town, the citadel. And there, in uh, Spire, uh, this is a rare case. It didn't happen too often, unfortunately. Uh, there you had a strong governor. Get it? The, the bishop there took his responsibility seriously. He immediately sends guards to drive these guys off. They kill a couple of these crusaders. You can't call them crusaders. I told you before, they're not going in the right direction. They're not crusaders. They're, they're, they're criminals, you know. They're, they're wearing the cross. You know, they're, they're taking advantage. It's not the real thing. And so he kills a bunch of them. They're angry at him. And they cuss him out. They say, you're right by the Jews. He said, if you keep talking to me, I'll cut your tongues out. You know, it gets like that. And the bottom line is, he, they go away. Okay? It's the, maybe the only case, or one of the only cases, where this happens. Uh, it goes to show you, when there is a determined uh, effort on the part of authorities, there are no riots and pogroms. This is a lesson of Jewish history.
in general. Uh, whenever you hear about uh, riots, not only Jews, but in general, it means that the authorities decided to let it happen for whatever reason. Those of us who are old enough to remember the riots that took place in Baltimore, Maryland, in 1968, if you were here at the time, you'll recall that for one reason or another, whatever the policy was, the city decided not to intervene. Do you remember that? You know, the police cordoned off area, they didn't go in. That's just a fact. You understand? And the governor decided not to intervene. They, they, they let it happen. Okay? President Johnson at the time. Um, right or wrong. Uh, if they want to stop it and they're willing to play rough, they can do so. I always like to remind you of the story that happened in 1881 in Russia when the Tsar died assassinated and uh, people said rumors that Jews did and this and that and the other and the new czar was super anti-Semitic, Alexander III and next thing you know there are riots and pogroms breaking out in Russia which under the czar there is no law breaking <laughs> you understand? I mean it's a, that's, a, that's a law and order uh, autocracy and yet it's breaking out everywhere and uh, Jewish uh, bankers and rich people in St. Petersburg go to the czar and the new czar and they say uh, you have to stop this. And he says, I'm not in a position to stop anything. It is the righteous anger and indignation of the peasants at the uh, constant ripoff activities of the Jewish merchants. And this is just a natural surge that coming from down on you. I just have to let it take its, 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 its away. And one of the Jewish bankers, Baron Gunsberg, says, you know, Your Majesty, it's a funny thing. When people get used to breaking the law, how do you know where they stop? Maybe they make a revolution. This is our side, I guess. I never thought of that. <laughs> so he immediately... He went to the other room, and he telegraphed, and Odessa was having a, a pogrom at that time. He telegraphed, he said, stop this now. And the governor general of Odessa then was a famous Russian general, Totleben, from the Crimean War, uh, a war hero. And he got the uh, telegram, and he said, this will stop now, and it was Easter. So they all went to the church. They got heated up by the sermons. They got drunk. They came out, and they ran to the Jewish neighborhood. This happened. And it was rape, pillage, uh, looting, you know, it was uncontrollable mob. Right? And he was in a square in Odessa, and you can see from right to left, the peasants are going crazy and you know, just doing all kinds of terrible things. He's an uncontrollable mob. There's no such thing as an uncontrollable mob. He had his uh, soldiers, the Cossacks, they shot a couple of guns in the air and said, everybody should go home, nobody listened because they're drunk. He said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Pick that guy. They pick one <laughs> poor, drunken peasant over there. Picked him up, they put him on two spears and tore him in half. All of a sudden, everybody dropped everything and went home. You know, the uncontrollable mob all of a sudden was controllable. You see? If they want to, they can do it. And the bishop in 1019 Spirit didn't have to do that, but he gave an, an indication of what he was prepared to do, and it worked. Unfortunately, though, they just moved north, and they went to Worms. And when you get to Worms, then it wasn't so pleasant, because, um, what can I tell you? There, the authorities didn't do what they needed to do, and the circumstances were different, and here we run into a major uh, pogrom and major uh, a major tragedy, which is described in in uh, in uh, what shall I say in great terms in in um, in the literature. Okay, and uh, I want to uh, share with you a very brief, uh, take a little bit of reading uh, description, the, the the contemporary description of that time on uh, what happens in uh, in Worms. He says, when the evil news, the Jews and worms heard, and not that far away, it's a few miles away, what happened in Spire, and the, that the enemy is coming, that there was a pogrom. As I told you, an unsuccessful one, they killed but 11 people. Once upon a time, Germany was civilized. 11 people? That's terrible. Okay? And 
the Jews and worms started davening like crazy. It was Shavuos time. They saw it's a gzair There's nowhere to run. And immediately they formed into two groups over what they should do. Two different uh, uh, opinions. And uh, many fled to the bishop's palace, figuring like inspired they'll be safe there. And many stayed home. Because the local Balabatim in the city of Worms said, we'll protect you. Leave all your money in our house. Get it? Well, what, let me tell you something. What choice do you have? You know, we can't nod our head. It's not fair, right? What choice do you have? You see? Uh, even though there were Shavatamas, even though there was a lie, Kikonratsun Larab, there weak reeds that you uh, can't rely upon, they already were in cahoots with the uh, Crusaders, but that's what happened. And it was on a Monday, on the 10th of Eeyore, they came up with an idea how to lay the ground for violence. And here we see something very interesting. And um, I'm going to take about four or five minutes on this, and then I'm going to stop and continue next week. That's what I plan to do. Uh, you can't launch a big killing of a lot of people, especially with the local people watching, unless first you demonize the other. And so you have to show that Jews are, are, are devils. But they weren't devils. They were living among them for a long time. And they were uh, merchants and uh, reputable individuals. A little weird, but, you know, they, 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 they uh, were, were not uh, baby killers and things. Like oh, yes, they are. Uh, they, they dug a, 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 a buried person out of the grave. And they took him around the city. And they said, Look what the Jews have done with our friend. They, they seized the Gentile, uh, boiled him in water, and with the boiled water, they poisoned the wells. This is the first of those famous things that I'm sure many people heard. The Jews are accused of poisoning the well. Right? That they boil a dead body, the water is putrid, and pour down the well, and that's why people are getting sick. Uh, are your kids ill? You know, in the Middle Ages, are your kids ill? Do you know anybody sick? The Jews did it. Okay. Everybody heard this, they started screaming. And all the uh, wild guys, the crusaders and their sympathizers, gathered together with knives and, 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 and swords. Now's the time to take revenge on the Jews. Uh, we see that what they did to Jesus, they're trying to do to us. I'll tell you, let no one stay alive. We'll kill them all or convert them. In other words, we'll have no Jews left here, even babies in the crib, as he put it. So all the people who were staying in their houses who trusted the friends was a mistake. They went to those houses and, and they killed them. Young and old, boy and girl, men and women, and they all refused to convert and they all said, well, then kill us. They gave their neck over to be slaughtered. Even the maids and the help. So they had Jewish uh, servants. You know? So let's put it this way. They're not middle class. They're not invested in the status quo. But nevertheless, they all died at Kiddush Hashem. Um, and he goes on to say, this is the God of our fathers and all that sort of thing over here. And uh, it is for his sake this person who's the person writing this was was one of the survivors. It is for his sake, all of the Altarosu, Nergo Keshwarim, it was for the sake of God that they were shechted like 
oxen, and dragged through the streets of the city like sheep to the slaughter, and you see him lying dead naked in the streets, because they stripped the bodies literally of all their clothes, and basically if you were there at that time, you just see all over the, the town, you know, de- naked dead bodies all over the place. And when some of the surviving Jews saw what was going on, they saw so many dead people around there, and they saw so many girls that were tsunuos, and now they're rumos, and those they were so modest, and now they were stripped, either alive or dead, it's not clear to tell. Then they said, think, listen what I'm about to tell you, then they said like this, we're going to convert in order to try to help bring the Kevriyus, or to try to bury and do what we can for the others. You get it? We're going to convert Maybe we can help the other Jews. Because the Crusaders say, you convert or there won't be one survivor. And some of them said, here's what we're going to do. We'll convert now, and over the next three days we'll bury the bodies, and then we'll commit suicide. You see? Don't help the fellow Jews. And some of them said like this, will convert, maybe we can snatch away some of the little children, some of them were seized by the Christians, you know, the parents didn't kill them, and they're going to be mequim to usam, they'll keep them as Christians, maybe we can somehow, so you have material here for uh, pathetic, and then it's pathos, for novels and, and, and movies and everything like this. Achem lo saru me'achri ba'orum, but marum. Um, but most of them wouldn't do that. They they clung to the Lord of High. And the Jews in the fortress, the other half, who were hiding in the bishop's fortress, they heard about all this. And you can understand this sensibility. It just bothered them so much. First of all, the killing, of course. Right? But that everybody's lying around naked and the, the girls and the boys all the rest of it. And so they sent secret messages somehow from the palace to the other Jews now who have converted and they understand what's going on. And so they take these clothes and put them on the bodies. You understand? Uh, you know, it could be my niece. Get what I'm saying? You know, there's somebody. For us, you call Nishu Shom, but in Rova called Nutsu Pam Rishono, Beshokla Nusun Duri, Nechumim. And they sent messengers to those Jews that converted. And they said, like this, Al Tiru, Al Tusim, Ali, Vashay Sisim. Don't worry about what you did. And as we understand the circumstances, right? Nobody's going to blame you. Uh, do what you can to help whoever you can. Right? Don't really depart from God. Don't really become Christians. Yeah? You can fake it out. But use the opportunity to do what you can. And if we all get out of this, you understand? And you understand exactly what's going on. I mean, I'm sure such things happen in the Holocaust as well, they would tell somebody, if you were able to pass for a, a, a Gentile or something like that, you know, do whatever you need, you know, get what I'm saying? You know, do what you need to do, right? In the 23rd of Eor, so it's the middle of summer, although it's not so hot over there. Then the mob, having vented its fury on the people in the town and killed them and all this stuff, said, what about the other Jews that are in the palace in the fortress of the bishop? Let's take vengeance on them. By his costume, he called pharmacy. They heated up all the villages around worms, the peasants, and all this kind of stuff. Who knows what's going on over there? And they said, let's battle against them. It was a battle, a, physical, a, a, a military battle between the Jews on the inside and all these Christians on the outside. Until they see, you know, the, until the crowds won. 
And when the Jews saw that the jig is up, they say that Pani Vachar, the enemy is breaking in in the front and the back. You know, I mean, they were surrounded. Uh, they saw this This is God's decree, obviously. Uh, all these people that were dealing with all the Jews, very religious. Understand? Uh, when you're very religious, uh, what's suicide? Get it? Uh, I'm here now, and a minute later I'll be there. If you kill your children, we'll all be together in two minutes. You know, it's a different way of looking at it. And they said, you hit stick did. They might stick a didn't know that they said, like, God is just. We must have done something wrong. That's what they said. Uh, and they put their trust in God, and they said, listen, you know, this is not Eli Wiesel. We're not asking why, why, why. Instead, we're just going to do what we think God wants us to do. And they all killed their own children. They shechted their own children. Shechita. And then the Chashiva members of the community were killed. There was a, a, a Bachar, you know, young man. And he shouted out in the middle of this horrific scene to all the people there and to Tzipara, his mother-in-law. Hear me out, all of you Jews, big, one, big and little. Ben Zen Nasan Elohim. What do you call it? this? I had a son. God gave me a child, a son. It wasn't Hamasa. In other words, it was his wife. So uh, uh, what do you call it? And, and, and we had a, a, a child um, in her old age. You know, in other words, they couldn't, they couldn't have children for a long time. And then we had a child in old age. Uh, what does Yitzchak sound like? Akedah Yitzchak. You'll read the Piyutim and the Kinos, constant repetition of the theme of Akedis Yitzhak, except there's a different ending, obviously. Um, right. I'm an offer of the carbon the way Avram Avinu was ready to do. And the mother is a mother, and she says, Adoni, Adoni, my husband, wait a minute, don't shech my kid, it took me so long to have a child until I raised him and all the rest of it. When I was older, Kill me first. Right? I don't want to see it. And the husband, this is not a normal, obviously, not a normal situation. The husband says, I'm not going to stop back for a minute. What's the difference? In one minute, he'll be in the bosom of Amavinu. We can't, we're not in a situation, fate is not placed in a situation where we think regular. Here you have to think spiritual. Regular doesn't work. You understand? Regular is, is gone. We have to think on a different plane. And so in one minute it will be in the bosom of Avram Avinu. I don't know if this is literally true. A lot of these accounts are what you call formulaic, which means you take biblical phrases and you play it right there. So Yaakov, you know, Avram of But the bottom line is he shechted his son. And he said the bracha, and there is a bracha. And the son says, Amen. And then he shechted the son. Right? Vaisha Sanar, Vaikesha Hatsarachas, and his wife was screaming, and then the husband and wife walked out where they were killed by the Crusaders. So it knows it's just it's a scene like that. Uh, and the author of this says, Why are you looking down, God, not doing anything? Where, where are you? So they're very from, right? As you see, 
but they also, like the Bible, they say, why, why, you know, many times in the Bible, the, the, the prophet will say, why, why, why are you letting this happen? Right? Uh, the prophet Habakkuk says, you who eyes are so pure that you can't see evil. Why do you look down and see so many bad things happening in the world? What's going on? And, and the Mishnah says, as we all know, in Pirkei Elvis, the Mishnah, the rabbis, the Mishnah say we have no good answer for what righteous suffering which we could prosper. Don't even go there. Anyway, we don't have a good answer. And there was a young boy, Isaac Ben Daniel. As in this, you want to convert, save your life? Chalila, right? He says, no way. And they tie his neck like this, and they drag him through the streets to the church, and they, at the last minute they see you still have a last chance uh, to survive, and he says, which means, you know, kill me, and they do. So you have scenes like this, one after another. Um, I won't read them all. There's about ten of them. I'll read you uh, the last one, and with that we'll uh, conclude. He says, Remember we talked last week about the Ashkenaz women? Uh, there was a CEO uh, a baby Gracia Mendes in uh, Worms. And her name was Minnie, Minna. Um, what do you call today? Mindy. Get it? Mendel. Uh, so she obviously had a lot of friends who were not Jewish. She's a big business person. And if you've seen a minute, fascinating, this in the 10 hundreds, she has a salon like Moses Mendelssohn's daughters. She's the center of social life in the town, even though she's a from lady. It's funny. And she was, like in the Holocaust, she was hiding underground. A priest uh, put her underground to save her. And the people of the city, the elite, held her in great esteem uh, from business and her, you know, for transactions with her. And they went to her and they said, You're an Asian Chal, which means you're a Chachabal person. You see yourself, your God has abandoned you. Look at the street, the dead, naked Jewish bodies over the place and nobody's even burying them. Which means, in Europe, they're being eaten by dogs and stuff like that. That's what, that's what it means. Uh, you know, there's, uh, I'm sure many have heard of Acher, the famous uh, rabbi in the Talmud who converted to paganism. And there's all kinds of questions, why did he do that? And Yerushalmi says very famously, when he saw his Rebbe was killed, his tongue beaten by dogs, he said, oh, there's no Torah. If that, <laughs> that, that doesn't work. You see? So you see this. Tin fiatzmech, dirty yourself, which means baptize, uh, for, uh, and, and you'll save your life. And they uh, begged her on knees. They didn't, didn't want her to get killed. They said, we, we, we're your best friends. I'll listen to our advice. We're, we're, your, we're your side. All right? Her reputation was, was, was far-ranging. She was famous. In her house used to gather all the big shots, the princes and the nobles. <laughs> it's interesting, whoever this person was. Mendel. And she answered, Khalil, no, it's not for me. I would rather die for the Torah. And don't waste any time. Let's get on with it. This conversation is pointless, basically. Sham Nerga Malobasharm said there she was killed. And you had these mass suicides, or to be exact, one shaft the other. Bachurim Basulas came to Kavos, Shikita Shem, Ela Shinik Vashem was also 
I've mentioned to you the authors as some of the more famous cases. But the masses of the community were just regular schleppers like you and I. You know, they just got killed. They will be nameless and faceless in history. When you know a story, the person goes down. When you don't know a story, they're just someone. And these simple people, men, women, and children, did things that the eye has never seen before. And, you know, that, uh, it was referring to them that the Pesukim say that, you know, uh, let's put it this way. The author says, I'm sure that what they have in heaven is beyond, beyond, beyond. Because there is a statement in the Talmud that says, the Harugi Lud, there were a pair of brothers who uh, saved the Jewish people by taking on a punishment on themselves. So uh, they didn't commit suicide, but they, they let them so get killed on behalf of all the other Jews. They said they did a crime, which nobody did. They do so, and the Gemara says that in heaven there's, you know, <laughs> there's a penthouse apartment, and there's this apartment, this apartment. Moshe Rabbeinu has this room, this has this room, and Harugi Lud, but these two brothers, in Kolberi nobody can get into their apartment. It was there at the top of the top. And so the author here is saying, we have a lot of those type of people here today. So I've started um, the uh, summer of 1096, which basically boils down to the uh, little massacres in Trier and Metz, the near massacre in Spire, and the big one that killed the whole community, 800 people in Worms, and then it goes to Mainz and Cologne and Köln. Uh, these are the main places that uh, all these things happen. There are some side episodes over here, but the main ones are all these communities. As I said before, you see what phony balonies these guys were. They were going north, away from the fighting. Because uh, fighting isn't what, they wanted fighting, but they like fighting, as I said before, against helpless Jews, rather than against a real enemy. And uh, everything was uh, not supposed to happen. The law was on the side of the Jews. The authority was on the side of the Jews. The police are supposed to be on the side of the Jews. The Jews did everything they're supposed to do in terms of for sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com